It's Monday, January 23rd. New year, same fears. We start here. When they came into the parking lot, it was chaos. A gunman opens fire at a Lunar New Year celebration in California. Did he have a mental illness? Was he a domestic violence abuser? This ended with several dead, including the suspect. We'll bring you the latest. President Biden's team said there was no more classified information sitting in his home. Well, guess what the Justice Department just found? The FBI is not in the, uh, we take your word for it, business. Why the DOJ has now had to search two president's properties. And police plan to build a new facility in Atlanta. What they got was angry protesters and a burned out police cruiser. That is what has caused a lot of this uproar among these environmental activists. How a debate over the environment and policing led to death and destruction. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. This weekend marked the biggest day of the year for billions around the globe. It was Lunar New Year. In China, for example, we are now in the year of the rabbit. People traveled across China the way a lot of Americans do for Thanksgiving and Christmas to celebrate with family and friends. Here in the U.S., many Asian-American communities mark the new year with fireworks and parades and more casual events in homes and community centers. You know, we want to share the love that we can with our festivities. Well, that's what was happening in Monterey Park, just east of Los Angeles on Saturday evening. And that's when a man walked into the celebration with a gun and committed a horrific mass shooting. There's been a manhunt here that came to an end yesterday. A lot of details here. ABC's Matt Rivers has been in L.A. covering it all. Matt, let's just back up. What do we know about the shooting itself? Yeah, so this was all playing out Saturday night into Sunday morning. We first got word late Saturday night that there was a mass shooting event. I got the call from our bosses a little bit before midnight, I think, on Sunday. We all start make a beeline for the scene. Where this is, Monterey Park, it's a community that's just east of downtown Los Angeles. So it's in Los Angeles metro area, but it really is its own little community there. It's known for being uh, a very Chinese immigrant-friendly community. There's a lot of first-generation, second-generation immigrants from China that live in this community, and that's where this happens. Every Saturday night, we, we come here dancing, and every day, morning until evening, there's a lot of um, world champion teaching. This happens at a ballroom dance a studio where there's a lot of people uh, that will go and take dance classes and and that's what was happening, a celebration for Chinese Lunar New Year. That's when police say the suspect walks in, opens fire, shoots 20 people, kills 10 of them. It sounded like firecrackers, but then I realized it sounded like a very heavy artillery weapon. And And then I I could really tell something was going on because after that you could hear the sirens after that. Another 10 are injured, brought to different area hospitals, an absolutely horrific scene for these uh, first responders. When they came into the parking lot, it was chaos. There were wounded people, there were people trying to flee out all the doors. But by the time they get there, the suspect who committed the crime was gone. Potential second location that is connected to this very similar circumstances. What we then find out a little bit later on on Sunday is that there was another incident uh, in a nearby community called Alhambra, where a man walks into another dance studio and he has a gun. And he was disarmed uh, by two community members who I consider to be heroes because they saved lives. This could have been much worse. 
no one is injured. What they, the gun that we find out they take away is a assault pistol. That's what, how police described it. They specifically said not an assault rifle, an assault pistol with an extended large capacity magazine. That is another incident. We say, are those two things connected? We come to find out later on that they are. So we go through the day and basically the manhunt is on for what police then eventually say is one suspect. They release a photo from some surveillance video. He looks to be an older man. We had a vehicle that was described as a white uh, box van, I guess you'd say, a van of interest. So fast forward a couple of hours as we go through the day on Sunday. Police in a city called Torrance, California, which is more towards the coast, more towards the LAX, the airport there, they do a traffic stop. When officers exited their patrol vehicle to contact the occupant, they heard one gunshot. They eventually make entry into the car. They see that a suspect inside is dead. They eventually match up. They think that is their guy, and they have no more threats, no more outstanding threats. They say that's the guy who did it. They pulled him over, and that's that. And do, what do we know about this? And police are saying, like, this was the killer. At this point, that seems like what it was. What do we know about him? Well, we know he's a 72-year-old, uh, according to police, uh, who is from this community. The suspect has been identified as who, as who can tran. But beyond that, we don't know a ton more about this man. In terms of motive, I think that's the big outstanding question here. Why did this happen? What I can tell you, talking to members of the community, it's a very tight-knit community. There's a lot of theories going around. Did he have a mental illness? Was he a domestic violence abuser? But in terms of motive, we still don't know exactly what that is. And when police say their investigation is ongoing, yes, the immediate threat is over, but they're going to continue to have to investigate this. Why, how could someone do this? That's a big outstanding question. It makes me wonder about, like, these communities have been terrorized in so many ways throughout the last, especially the last few years. Sure. We've seen hate crimes on the rise. Regardless of this particular man's motive, I got to wonder what the reaction was from the community, what they've been telling you over this weekend. I mean, I think this is a very traumatized community already, like you said. I mean, this is a community that has been on the receiving end of a lot of hateful rhetoric going back through the pandemic. Uh, you saw a lot of attacks against Asians across uh, the country, this community, no exception there. And look, it, it, this particular crime, police are not calling it a hate crime uh, yet. They're still doing that investigation. But regardless, you're talking about a community that's generally been pretty traumatized. We are so surprised. Here is safe. I'm scared. We feel we feel so safe. But how come? What happened? Especially before this guy was caught, they were really, really scared. People shooting on the street fair. I'm scary. I, oh, what happened? That must be a hate crime. This is a relatively safe uh, community. This is a place that is very close-knit. Everyone feels what everyone else is going through. And so mm. this is an event that is going to have an impact on everybody's lives in this community. And I think people really just want a lot more answers about what the backstory is here. How did this happen? Why did this happen? And can it ever be prevented uh, from happening again in the future? Right. And again, we don't necessarily know the motives or how targeted this was. But when somebody kills 10 people and then drives to another location to perhaps kill more. It's absolutely horrifying there. Uh, Matt Rivers in Los Angeles. Thank you. Thank you. Next up on Start Here, if you're President Biden, at what point do you think about just sending every piece of paper in your garage over to the DOJ? We're back in a bit. 
We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So, no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free, then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. There are lots of differences between the FBI search on President Donald Trump's property and the special counsel investigation into President Biden's property. When Biden's team found classified documents where they weren't supposed to be, they reached out to authorities to turn them over, not the other way around. When documents were found, it was the Biden team that initiated a broader search. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. But that's not to say everything was necessarily kosher. And this weekend, ABC News and Ipsos put out a poll showing broad majorities of Americans think both presidents have acted inappropriately with classified documents. They're twice as likely to say Trump was worse, perhaps in part because the FBI did not have to come in and find more classified documents on Biden's property. Well, right as that poll was coming out, we learned the Justice Department has now, in fact, searched Biden's property and they found, wait for it, more classified documents. ABC's chief justice correspondent, Pierre Thomas, joins us now. Pierre, it was a huge deal, a seismic event when the FBI went to Mar-a-Lago. This doesn't seem to rise to that level, or does it? I mean, what was happening here? Well, Brad, I think the first thing we have to point out is that this was a consensual search. There was not a search warrant, uh, i.e. the Biden attorneys and President Biden allowed the FBI to go in and literally search his property for well over 12 hours. We found a handful of documents were failed, uh, were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives of the Justice Department. Uh, That happened over the weekend. And it's a situation where uh, my understanding from sources is that even though it was voluntary, it was clear that the FBI and the Justice Department and special counsel were not going to simply take the word 
of the Biden team that all the documents had been recovered. As I told my wife over the weekend, the FBI is not in the uh, we take your word for it business. <laughs> so so do we know then what they ended up walking away with? Because you'd think that when the Biden team says, sure, the you know, DOJ is going to come over, that they would know what was there. But apparently, like, what, what was there? Do we know? Now, they they were very specific in the language. They they said they found six pieces of information that had classification markings. Now, that doesn't tell us how many pages, but it tells us that there were six items that had classification markings. Um, the, the issue here is that while the Biden team is clearly exercising or trying to cooperate with the FBI and show good faith and the special counsel and the Justice Department. The problem is the halting nature of how these documents have been found. They found documents at something called the Penn Biden Center, which is a Washington think tank, in November. Then, on December 20th, they found classified documents in the president's garage. Um, that raised eyebrows, and my sources say that was the moment in which it was pretty clear to everyone involved that there would be a special counsel, simply because more documents had showed up, and this time at his home, and it at least raises the specter that you know Biden may have personally wanted them there. Now, we don't know that to be true, but it's something that the FBI now feels like they need to get to the bottom of. Like that's on the table, right? Right. Then we find still more documents in January, and now... You know, the, as a result of the search, more documents found. But the point is, when the December 20th documents were found, Brad, there were a lot of people that said, why didn't you do a more extensive, comprehensive search at that moment? Why are we still finding documents in January? Right. And regardless, like you said, there were still pages with classified markings on them. We still don't know exactly what was there, how significant that was. But the overall effect of this is clearly for a president who says he takes classified information very seriously. That's that's Biden's phrase. You'd expect that, A, those documents would not still be sitting around his home. And B, when his team says we got it all, that they got it all, which is why critics of the president are saying, like, best case scenario, you would just call this sloppy by President Biden. Uh, Pierre Thomas, thank you so much. Pleasure. Police expected a big protest this weekend in Atlanta, Georgia, but they did not expect it to end up like this. As shouting escalated into vandalism and eventually arrests, police across the country are taking note this morning. Let's go to ABC's Elwin Lopez, who's based in Atlanta. Elwin, can you just describe what happened here? Because this seemed to take a lot of people off guard. Yeah, Brad, I mean, hundreds of demonstrators poured into the streets. Most of them were protesting quite peacefully over the killing of an environmental activist, a 26-year-old, and also the plans to build a new police training center that opponents have now dubbed Cop City. Now, this started out, as I said, quite peacefully, but then we saw a group of rioters. They were wreaking havoc, smashing windows to several businesses, at least three businesses in the downtown area, and set ablaze a police cruiser. It doesn't take a rocket scientist or an attorney to tell you that breaking windows and setting fires is not protest. That is terrorism. All of this started months before. There was a protest encampment in that area where that training facility is set to be constructed. Yeah, wait, can, can you describe the backstory to this protest? Because the fact that it like became deadly in a way that an activist was shot by police and then, you know, results in like police cruisers being burned. 
what what got everyone so up in arms in Atlanta? This forested area is about 85 acres. Originally, it was set to be a green space. That is what the city council had approved a plan uh, in 2017. And then it was decided that this was going to turn into an Atlanta public safety training instead. And we're here to stop Cop City. We're here to protect our forests. We're here to fight environmental racism. Now, that is what has caused a lot of this uproar among these environmental activists. And so they camped out in that area So officers were trying to clear out this area to construct that new training facility. And that is when a fatal encounter happened between an environmental activist and officers. Law enforcement was fired upon by a subject. One law enforcement officer, a Georgia State trooper, was shot. Now, authorities say that the 26-year-old environmental activist shot at officers and officers responded and returned fire. Now, some of the activists have disputed that, but as of right now, this is what we have from authorities. They say that the officer, one of the troopers, was shot by this 26-year-old environmental activist. Uh, That trooper is alive and has survived those injuries, but the environmental activist died. Now, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation says that there's no body camera video of that incident, and that has made a lot of these activists protesting really upset, and that is part of what their protest was about uh, over the weekend. Well, and, and so the police chief came out and called this terrorism, but this is not the only quote-unquote cop city that is being built in, in cities across the country. Like, there are a bunch of new sort of police construction projects. I'm wondering if the concerns here radiate beyond Atlanta to other communities where police are having, like, maybe a stepped-up presence. Yeah, that's a great question, Brad. The Department of Homeland Security actually put out a memo last week. It was telling people, listen, construction workers, anyone law enforcement based could be a threat to some of these uh, people, especially when it comes to assault, arson, and sabotage attacks. Some of them were found with explosives on them. Uh, you heard that correctly, explosives, and that has led to a, co- a police uh, officer's car being uh, set on fire. They said that they want people to be on alert for this, not only here in Georgia, but across the country. And it is something that law enforcement officials hear and you know, everywhere really have expressed concern over. All right. Uh, Really interesting. All right. Elwin Lopez there in Atlanta. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. One more quick break. When we come back, Roe v. Wade is now 50 years old. And in all 50 states, the state of abortion is still in doubt. One last thing is next. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. And one last thing. 
you know how anniversaries can kind of change over time? Like the more time that goes by, we think about something like Columbus Day differently. Well, yesterday marked 50 years since the landmark decision Roe v. Wade, and this 50th anniversary felt a lot different from the 49th. Yesterday, women's groups converged across the country for marches in several cities. Demonstrators showed up in Washington, D.C., expressing their opposition to last year's Supreme Court ruling. But the official women's march, like the group with that name, they set their sight on other locations. Madison, Wisconsin was the hub of this year's march in an effort to push cities and states to explicitly protect abortion rights. Vice President Kamala Harris traveled to Florida specifically to criticize lawmakers like Governor Ron DeSantis, who moved to outlaw abortions. Here in Florida, health care providers face prison, prison for up to five years for simply doing their job. But if the abortion rights movement has transitioned to smaller, localized marches, the anti-abortion rights movement looked different, too. For many years, the conservative-led March for Life felt like a desperate plea. This year, it was a straight-up celebration. And yet what was really interesting was leaders of this movement kept stressing, this is only the beginning. A whole new world of possibilities is out there. Instead of making abortion a choice for state leaders, it's now constitutionally possible to outlaw it nationwide. I think that it's really important that everyone sees that we are a vibrant community. We are a movement that is moving and shaking. Still more activists describe this as a moment to change hearts and minds. While abortion is no longer federally protected, abortion rights are still favored by a majority of Americans. And that's what this weekend seemed to really underline. Years 1 through 50 were about a country where the right to abortion was guaranteed. But in year 51 since Roe, it's a brand new era. An era in which progressives, not conservatives, are hoping to chip away at the edges of state laws. In which the Supreme Court now lives in fear of decisions leaked to the press. An investigation failed to reach a conclusion about what happened last year. And in which these marches have a new sense of urgency for years to come. Another story we've been tracking here, by the way, the Buffalo Bills lost their big playoff game yesterday, but the most important moment of their whole season came right before that game, when DeMar Hamlin, that player who almost died on the field during a cardiac arrest, was able to visit his teammates in the locker room. Teammates said they had to restrain himself from expressing how excited they were since Hamlin's health is still delicate, but not so delicate that Hamlin wasn't able to stand up during the game in the stadium and thank those fans in Buffalo for their support. More on all these stories at abcnews.com or the ABC News app. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow. The first ever criminal trial of a former president is underway in Manhattan. It's one of potentially four trials facing former President Trump as he makes his third bid for the White House. What do voters think about his culpability, and would a guilty verdict make a difference in the election? I'm Galen Druk, and every Monday and Thursday on the 538 Politics podcast, we break down the latest news from the campaign trail. We sort through the noise and zoom in on what really matters using data and research as we go. That's 538 Politics every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.